Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Last week, I started a new series called Encounters with Christ. Say, Encounters with Christ. And I'm really excited about this series because we're taking a look at different Bible characters who encountered Christ, who had relationship. They had these intersections with Jesus leading up to the final Passover, his death, and even his resurrection. And I do believe that these real-life examples of relationship that Jesus had with people, of experience and encounters that people had, can help us in our encounters with Christ in a deeper and more meaningful way. You know, that's part of the journey. That's part of that growth process is encountering Jesus at different points on the journey and seeing things in a different way. How many have noticed that in their life? And so it's important that we, we, we notice when that happens because I know in my own life, sometimes I can get so caught up in, in what I believed for 5 or 10 or 15 years that it's hard to hear the voice of spirit when spirit's saying, I want you to move to a different way of thinking. And so we talk about that a lot here, that we don't want to get ourselves trapped in a box of theology, uh, a box of religion, because that just holds us back from the potential that God's put in us. And it's not that God's mad at us because, man, would you just, how many here have kids? You know, when you have children, there's times that you can see the potential they have when they can't. Have you noticed that? And so it's, it's really hard sometimes to navigate that, to not come off as a nagging parent or a controlling parent or a helicopter parent. You want them to experience things and learn things on their own. But how many know as a parent, you just want them to see their potential? You just want them to step into what you can see is already there. I believe it's the same way with God. But see, God is love. So it's never forceful. It's always seeing you at your best, even if you seem to be at your worst and saying, nope, I see something different within you. There's something that Jamie Englehart said one time, and it just sticks with me, and I've repeated it several times. But in the ministry of Jesus, he never called out the sin in someone. He called out the son. He said, this is who you truly are. I was talking to a gentleman just the other day. He stopped by the office, and we were chatting. And he says, you know, that's the thing about Jesus. He's like, you know what? You know, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. And I said, sometimes, though, we've, we've taken that and made that into a negative, as if Jesus was like, now you better watch out, and you better not do it again. But see, if we understand that sin, the word hamartia in the Greek, it literally means to live out of a false identity, we can realize that Jesus was saying, because you've awakened to who you truly are, now you can go and live and be who you really are. Does that make sense? So again, it's never a threat. It's a promise of who you are. And so we've been looking at these different encounters. We started just here this last week. And this week, I want to look at a character named Salome. Say Salome. S-A-L-O-M-E. Not salami for some of you who are probably already missing lunch. But Salome, and I, and I want to specifically look at Salome at the tomb, but I also want to just look through a few passages of Scripture so we can kind of set a basis of who Salome is. If we look in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, we look at verses 40 and 41. This was at the crucifixion. It says, some women were watching from a distance. In other words, they were watching this crucifixion happen with Jesus. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph, 
And who is it? Salome. Now look at this. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Now, we can see here we're kind of introducing who Salome was. But ladies, I want you to catch on to something here that's really cool. Do you see all the ladies that surrounded Jesus? Do you see all the ladies who cared for Jesus? I've taught this before, but if you look in Scripture, do you know it was, it was women who financed the ministry of Jesus and who were followers and disciples of Jesus? See, this encourages me because sometimes we can read passages, say letters from Paul, and because we don't know why Paul's writing and to whom he's writing and the reason we make that a scripture verse for all women for all time, and all of a sudden it's like women can't be leaders and women can't, women can't preach. Really? I think Jesus had a different idea. How about you? Come on, ladies. All right. Matthew 27, 55 and 56 Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and get this, the mother of Zebedee's sons. Many scholars believe this is Salome, the wife of Zebedee, and her sons were James and John. They were apostles of Jesus. Now, during the ministry of Jesus, at one point, uh, their mom comes up, James and John, with James and John, which is interesting, and she kneels before Jesus, and she wants to ask him a favor. And he's like, what is this, Salome? What do you need? And she said, grant that one of my sons may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand when you come into your kingdom. Well, of course, we know the response of Jesus was, you don't know what you're asking here because they didn't quite understand. But to me, this woman, Salome, had a relationship with Jesus, And it wasn't just a short term. Like last week, we talked about Simon of Cyrene. He had a one-chance meeting that radically transformed his life. But I also want to look at people who actually had a long-term relationship with Jesus. And I wanted to bring us right up to the tomb scene in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Look at this in verse 54. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee... This would include Salome, followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. So we see that she was throughout the ministry of Jesus, caring for Jesus. We see that she was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. And now we even see that she followed these men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, as they were putting the body into the grave, even the sea how they put the body in the grave. Now, we'll get to this in a minute and why. But I want to really zero in on Mark's gospel, chapter 16. And uh, with scriptures 1 through 8, it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, this would be a good question, hey, hey, wait a minute, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, again, I want us to get a feel for what's going on here. I want us to put ourselves into the shoes of these women, especially Salome. These are, these are women who wanted to anoint the body of Jesus because of relationship, yet as they're going, they're like, wait a minute, there's a big stone in front of the tomb. Who's going to move that? But look at this. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, 
had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, say, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, this is another interesting thing, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What was going on in the mind of Salome? Well, just like last week, I'm telling you, Bruce, we are just so lucky here. We were actually able to get original footage of the testimony of Salome. Yeah, yeah. So check this out. I don't really know how. Uh, What would be the word for uh, terrified and excited? Do you you know? Huh? Well, all I know is we were both of those things that morning. And that I ran faster than sandals ought to be able to carry you. We had to tell everybody else what happened. (sighs) After Jesus was crucified, it was all over. I mean, were we wrong about him? We had to have been. Jesus was dead, so we hid. Hid in fear. That morning, a a small group of us women went to um, prepare his body with spices and ointments. I mean, it, it was the very least that we could do, you know? Even though none of this made any sense, for three days, that was the longest three days of my life. We were so afraid. Oh, but son, My head was racing faster than my feet. We bolted from that tomb. (laughs) None of the other disciples were going to believe when we tried to explain. I mean, a massive sealed tombstone moved. Those Roman soldiers silenced. (sighs) Blinding angels, unnecessary grave clothes, now lay folded neatly inside a empty tomb as if they had some sort of secret to tell. (laughs) Well, a picture's worth a thousand words than an empty tomb. It's worth a thousand promises. Do you see what this means? We were waiting for the Messiah to come and restore Israel. Jesus exceeded all our expectations. I mean, he he was the Messiah that nobody could contain. Because we were hoping too small. This 
means that everything that has been taken, God can restore. If there is a way to be made, it's through him. If there is hope in this world, his name is Jesus the Christ. Oh, he lives. He lives, the Messiah. Our Messiah, my, my Messiah. <laughs> yes, Jesus. Uh, he's alive. And the secret's out. that actual footage we got? Every week we're somehow going to discover more footage. But again, why do we, why are we being so dramatic, I, I can say, with this? Because I want us to try to put ourselves into the shoes. I want to put flesh and bone on these relationships. I want us to feel the emotion. I want us to see the humanity of what's happening in these situations. It's so easy to read some scriptures, you know, out of, out of the Bible and, and to just kind of disconnect from what's really going on. And so I wanted to see that there was so much going on. So who was Salome? I mean, Salome had been a faithful follower and supporter of Jesus and his ministry since the early days in teaching in Galilee. In fact, she was with him through that whole time up to his death, burial, and even his resurrection. Another interesting fact is she was from the region of Galilee, the same area where Jesus grew up. So, you know, when did she actually come into contact with Jesus and begin to follow Jesus? She saw him die on the cross, and she was specifically mentioned as being at the empty tomb with other women who wanted to prepare his body with spices and oil. This was just a custom of the day. That's the who Salome was. But what about the what? In the when, what was actually going on, and when did this take place? You know, with what we've been celebrating just over this last week into this weekend, we know that the cross episode would have taken place on what is now known as Good Friday. Many of you probably celebrated that, that Good Friday, the idea of Jesus being crucified, but then the empty tomb would have taken place on the Sunday after the Jewish Sabbath of Saturday. And so we have this small window of three days where all of this kind of came to a head, came to culmination. And although the texts don't specifically say that Salome and the other woman were actually walking with Jesus as he was going to the cross, I think it's pretty logical to say with what we see even in Scripture that maybe they were at least accompanying him, paralleling the crowds as he made his way to what they call or down the Via Della Rosa, the way of the cross and as I was actually putting these notes together and stuff, I thought about last week we learned about Simon of Cyrene. And, and I'm thinking to myself, so if they were there with Jesus the whole time 
at the time where, where Simon, because of Jesus, from sheer exhaustion, from the beating and the torture and just the mental trauma he was going through, when he began to buckle under the weight of that cross, we know that Simon at some point was pulled in by the Roman soldiers and helped to carry that cross. Salome may have been there and seen that happen. So even though we're just talking about specific people, at specific times or even through the life of Jesus who had these encounters, some of these, uh, these uh, encounters even crossed each other, which is beautiful. And so if they did make the walk to the cross with Jesus, they would have been following somewhere during the morning hours until they reached Calvary or Golgotha around noon. And we know that Jesus was hung around noon. And he hung there till at least 3 p.m. Mark 15, 33 says, And when the sixth hour, noon, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, around 3 p.m. And so the day that Jesus died, do you notice in Scripture it says it was the day of preparation? Why? Well, it was due to all the preparations that were being made for the Sabbath, which was the next day. And especially during this time, we learned last week, it was their Passover celebration. And so there was so much that was going on. I want us to get a sense again of what was happening in this small window of time. So much had to be done. Mark 15 speaks of this time on that Friday when Jesus was crucified. It says in verse 42, And when evening had come, Since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before Sabbath, look at this, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, look at this, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. He was looking for something different, wasn't he? What did he do? He took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, again, we can read this and go, well, you know, Maybe Jesus meant something to him. He wanted to take him from the cross, but there's so much more going on. The timing here matters. Say timing matters. The reason this timing of the day is so important is due to the customs of the Jewish people not working on the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath was from sundown on Friday till about sundown on Saturday evening. And this time frame would have been from around 6 p.m. on a Friday till 6 p.m. the following day. It's also important to note that according to Jewish law, a dead body could not hang on a cross over Sabbath. So think about this time frame here. In fact, there's Jews today that celebrate Sabbath. Um, There's a company I use. They're based out of New York, and I buy a lot of uh, camera equipment and different things from them. It's called B&H Photo, and they're actually Jewish-owned. And there's sometimes I forget this, and I'll jump on. If I jump on on a Friday evening or, say, a Saturday afternoon to purchase something, I can't purchase until the end of Sabbath. It says, we're closed for the observance of Sabbath or Sabbath. I'm like, what? In fact, I got in there yesterday, and it said, we are closed until April 14th, this Friday, in observance of Passover. I mean, so even to this day, the Sabbath and the Passover, it's a big deal. But then to think that according to law, a dead body could not hang on the cross over the Sabbath. This is huge. This was especially true with what was going on with the Sabbath festival of Passover. If a dead body was left on the cross over the Sabbath, it would have made the entire land unclean, according to the law. And if it was unclean, they wouldn't be fit. They would be actually unfit for the Passover to take place according to Jewish law. Can you see what's happening here? 
And so there was this rush that was happening between the Jewish leaders and the leaders of the government. They didn't like this Jesus guy. He was messing with their systems, but everything had to be done quickly and with resolve. Why? Because celebration was coming. Sabbath was coming. The Passover was coming, and that body could not hang. And so we know this, that it all took place sometime after 3 p.m. and before 6 p.m., say three hours. A three-hour window to go and request the body, to take the body down. I can't even imagine that. Like, we separate ourselves from that. But just, just, how do I say this? The sights and the smells and everything that was going on to take a body off a cross. Then to have to take it to put it into a tomb. And then to have to, by custom, prepare the body properly. Three-hour window. It's amazing. It was a hurried time frame at the end of a day that was already filled with excruciating and gripping emotion. Not only for Jesus, but also for the followers who watched him suffer and watched him die on the cross. And so Salome and her friends, they would have seen these events unfolding. I think they would have noticed, oh my gosh, the sun is beginning to set. The sun's beginning to go down. And there was so much left in preparation for the Sabbath and for Passover. However, just looking at the text, there's no indication of improper work being done during the Sabbath. So that means they got everything done in a three-hour span. Now, when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came to take the body of Jesus away, it said that the women followed behind them to see where the tomb was, where he would be located, and how he was positioned so that they could return after the Sabbath to bring their own spices, to bring their own ointments that that go along with this Jewish tradition. I can't imagine what these ladies were going through. I can't imagine how Salome was feeling. But I even think about Joseph here of Arimathea. If he had not taken the initiative to talk with Pilate, Jesus would have been buried in an unmarked grave like a common criminal. So many things happen here. You know, when you were crucified as a criminal, they would just throw you into an unmarked grave. And something had transpired even in the life of Joseph that he said, no, that's not good enough for Jesus. I'll give up my own tomb for Jesus. I will go even if I'm trembling to Pilate, the official, because he didn't know how Pilate would respond to request the body to make sure that he was buried correctly according to the custom of the day. So the who Salome is, we've looked at that, the when and the where, but there's a big why here. As we look through the scripture, I see a few whys. If we look at the gospel of John chapter 19, verse 39 through 40, it says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night. This is the same Nicodemus that said, hey, Jesus, I got some questions for you. I think it's really cool because, you know, sometimes we can give, you know, in in scripture at least, the Jewish people a hard time. But there were many who were seeking after Jesus and asking a question and wanting to know, what what is your kingdom like? What is this all about? And so we see that this same Nicodemus, look at this, he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes. Why? He wanted to anoint the body of Jesus. But if, if we're not careful, we can skip over the next sentence. What does it say? About 75 pounds in weight. Now, I could lift 75 pounds, but it's not 10 pounds, right? It's not 20 pounds. It's 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. I'm like, dude, 
Like, did you overbuy? Did you go to Costco and get a lot and you just had the bag in the back of your trunk? I don't know. 75 pounds in weight. So what they do? They took the body of Jesus. They bound it in linen clothes with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. When I read this, a question came to mind. If Nicodemus and Joseph brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes that weighed 75 pounds, why would Salome and her friends go to all the trouble to get burial spices and ointments to put on Jesus' body after what had already been applied? I mean, Jesus must have been glistening at this point. That's 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, and the ladies are like, we have to do more. Why? Now, I want us to note the amount that these two men have already prepared Jesus' body with on that Friday as he died, as recorded in John 19. To put that amount of burial and anointing oils and spices into perspective, this was, this this is crazy. How many remember the dinner at Bethany? Remember that Mary came forward and she had that little alabaster jar of oiled perfume? And she broke that on the feet or poured that on the feet of Jesus. And then she actually wipes it off with her hair. Pretty risque moment there. The disciples like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? That's, that's worth a year's wages. You could have sold that and given it to the poor. Well, to bring it into perspective, they just buried Jesus with a hundred times the amount of oil that Mary put on the, on the feet of Jesus. A hundred times. They upped it a hundred times from what that dinner in Bethany had taken place, and no one blinked twice. Say a hundred times. Now, scholars note that the amount of oils and ointments that Nicodemus and Joseph prepared his body with was equal to the amount a king would be anointed with and prepared with. See, Jesus was the king of Israel in their eyes. Can you see it? And their generosity reflected it by the amount that they had bought and used on the body of Jesus. But think about this. Mary and Bethany gave a year's wages worth of ointment, which means Nicodemus and Joseph gave a hundred years wages of ointment. Even if they split the bill, that's 50 years of wages. See, these men were rich. Yet they were generous with their worship to the Lord by the way they gave and blessed Jesus in this way. So again, why would these ladies have to feel like I need to bring more myrrh and aloes, more spices, more ointments? We've already got a hundred years wages worth on Jesus. He's already been prepared. So why would you do this? I believe it's a simple answer because they were doing what they could do. I wish I had a real deep, heavy review for you, but why else would they do it? There was no need, but to them there was. Sometimes, and I know we do this in our own life, when a person feels helpless, yet emotionally connected to a person, They want to do something as an act of love. They want to do something as an act of devotion, as an act of affection. Salome did what she could do. 
That's why Salome did what she did. She, as well as the other woman, knew how to prepare a body for burial. I mean, and, and I think about this in a, a human way and, and, you know, remove it from just words on a page. Not only would this be an action that would hide the stench of a body that was already going through the decaying process, it would perhaps allow this group of loyal women, including Salome, to have some closure on such a traumatic weekend of events. I mean, this weekend, this week for them was traumatic. I mean, the Jesus whom they loved, the Jesus whom Salome loved and followed and cared for and financially supported was now dead. And the least she could do was bring burial spices and bless their Lord one last time. That's what I believe was going through her mind. But as they were walking to the tomb that morning, after the Sabbath, by the way, because they couldn't work on the Sabbath. Can you imagine that? They had to, on a Friday evening, see how the body was laid, but then wait an entire day to go to see Jesus for the last time. That must have been excruciating. They're supposed to be celebrating Sabbath in the Passover, and yet all they could think of is, I just want to get to see Jesus one last time. I just want to anoint the body of Jesus one last time. But as they were going to the tomb, the biggest issue for them was how they were going to get that big stone that was in front of the entrance of the tomb moved away. I mean, just imagine that. They're going along like, hey, we got, okay, did you get your stuff, Mary? Okay, yep, Salome, we got it. Wait a minute, how are we going to move that stone? But Mark 16 shows that the angel of the Lord made sure to move the stone. Now, as I'm reading this, I've read this I don't know how many times. I've been going to church for years. I've heard the resurrection story over and over and over. I know that an angel of the Lord moved the stone. I know that the lady showed up at the tomb. But it just hit me as I was going through this that it's important to remember that the stone was not moved so Jesus could get out. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't like he rose from the day. He's like, man, it's dark in here. Hey, can someone let me out? Knocking on the stone. We know just, you know, a few verses later, the apostles are all hiding there in a room. And what happens? He walks through the wall to see them. Like literally just walks through the wall. I think Jesus has the power to get through this. I mean, Jesus had just conquered sin, death, and the grave. He had the capacity to escape the tomb without anyone's help. Listen, the stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus to get out. It was so that Salome and her friends could get inside to see that it was empty. So they could experience resurrection life. God wanted to make sure that these witnesses of that first Easter, that first resurrection morning, would be able to step inside and see the place where he laid. Look at the grave clothes folded neatly and no longer in need of a body. Why? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Salome and the others were so overcome with emotion I mean, this had been a traumatic 72 hours of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And even in that moment, this is what's so cool because this reflects God's attitude toward us. Even in the midst of what they're going through, because it's easy to read and go, ladies, chill out. No, no, there's been trauma, 72 hours of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And the angel of the Lord must have sensed this because he looked at them and said, do not be afraid. Peace. I speak peace to you. 
This is how Jesus deals with us. Amen. And so he followed with instructions to come and see, but we're not stopping there. Now you get to go and tell. Oh, yes, and make sure when you're telling the disciples about what's going on here today, don't forget to tell Peter. These are all these little things that we can miss, just little nuances in the story. It's very important that we do not overlook this instruction from the angel of the Lord to Salome and her friends at the empty tomb. Don't forget Peter. Mark 16, it says, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him, but now go. Tell his disciples and who? Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. In other words, make sure that Peter gets told that everything is going to be okay, Peter. Make sure that Peter knows that although he denied Jesus three times and followed from a distance and eventually ran away weeping into the night, Jesus wants Peter to know, Peter, you too are forgiven. (laughs) You have a calling. You still have a purpose on your life. The gospel has to go forth, Peter, and this is on you. You're still the rock. You're still the one that I want to carry the message Make sure that Peter knows that Jesus is risen too. I want him to know that and that he can rise from his regret, from his depression, from his shame, and move on into the future that has been planned for Jesus for him. So many little things are happening here. And all of this gets to come through Salome. Salome, who knew Jesus for years. So we know who Salome is, at least in the story. We've looked at the when and the where and even the why. But as we will with every message, we need to look at the how. How might the encounter between Salome and Jesus be understood and applied by us? What is it that we can learn? We know that Salome was one who was with Jesus through his entire ministry from Galilee onwards to Jerusalem. Uh, We know according to scripture that her and her friends were in close proximity to Jesus, connection, relationship, serving him at his point of need, financially supporting him along the way. She was with him both with his teaching and even with him at his death. And Salome was with him when they buried Jesus. And then she went to be with Jesus the day after the Sabbath to anoint his body to spend one last moment with Jesus. See, Salome, when I see her life and her connection, her encounters with Jesus, she was compassionately with Jesus as best as she could be in various seasons of his public ministry right up to and beyond his death. See, her quiet faithfulness is a great example for those who want to know how God wants people to be for their friends and their neighbors. And so I think there's three things that we can take away from this story of Salome. Be like Salome. Number one, have a heart of compassion for others. Have a heart of compassion for others. I believe that Salome helps us to Remember that although we may not be able to bring the amount of burial spices that, say, Nicodemus and Joseph did, we can bring what we can to those in need. We can do what we can 
to serve others. See, sometimes we get so caught up in this game of, well, I can't do what so-and-so do, does, and I, I can't quite be where someone else can be. But what if it's not about that? Maybe Jesus is more interested in doing what we can and giving what we can than comparing our gifts to others. Let me just say it's a vicious game. It's a vicious cycle. What is it that we can do for others? See, Jesus is interested in the heart behind the help rather than the help itself. Because you can help someone, but where is your heart? In those moments, I believe that Salome received a hearty, well done, good and faithful servant from Jesus and the way that she demonstrated an act of faith and love by giving and doing what she could. So here's another question. How can we encourage people to bring what they can and do what they can as an act of worship? Sometimes it's like I said earlier, we can see the potential in someone before they can see it themselves. And so maybe we, as companions in life, in relationship on this journey, can help people, encourage people to say, no, no, you can do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's something that you can do. Yeah, you can say that kind word. You can help someone in those moments. Why? Because it's really about this, having a heart of compassion for others, right? Leverage the skills and the gifts God has given you rather than worrying about the amount that you give or bring to the table to be used. Just, let me say it like this, just give what you can and leave the rest to God. Because it's God who magnifies and maximizes your humble heart, felt gifts, beyond what you could possibly imagine. I've seen this in my own life. So number one, have a heart of compassion for others. Number two, don't let obstacles stop you from blessing others with your gifts. Don't let obstacles stop you from blessing others with your gifts. Salome and her friends, they remind us that although we may have a big stone before us, God can remove those stones out of our pathway if we just move with our hearts and lives of faith toward him. See, so many times I know in my own life, I'm like, yeah, I'd like to do that, but... And there's that stone that seems to be in the way. But in this story, we see that God took care of that situation. I'll remind you, the stone wasn't removed so Jesus could get out. The stone was removed so the ladies could get in and see that he had been risen. So maybe it would be helpful to ask people to identify their perceived big stones in their life that they may believe to be impeding them, stopping them, the progress of serving and helping others. May we be a people who leave the stone removal to God. You know, as many times in my life, I'm trying to remove the stone. He's saying, I just want you to go ahead and just be a service to others. Let me handle the stones. Amen? So number two, don't let obstacles stop you from blessing others with your gifts. And number three, our last point for today. This is huge. Remind others that nothing they do changes God's love for them. Remind others that nothing they do changes God's love for them. And this can be tough at times, especially if it's someone you don't like. You know the person you work with? You know the person you live with? Come on, I'm just being real. What if in those moments where we had other things in our mind that we wanted to say or other thoughts about where they think that person should go. 
What if in those moments we think about maybe I should find a way to remind this person that nothing they do changes God's love for them? And here's another thing. If God has love for people, no matter what they do, then it seems like we should too. I mean, if we're made in his image and likeness, I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, that's why I chose to get off social media and a lot of these things because it can be so easy to be drawn into a side. And I just said, I'm not being drawn into sides anymore. I'm gonna stay right in the kingdom path because I never, I never want my love for someone to change because of a position they have on a political issue or the way they see something in this world. Because love should be unconditional, no strings attached. And I'm in connection with the real lover of this world, Jesus. And when I look at the life of Jesus, you think about the apostles, the ones he called. I mean, some were foul-mouthed fishermen. One was a tax collector, which was like the scourge of the earth, according to, to Jews, right? But then in that same group of people, he calls a zealot, someone who was totally against Rome and the empire. He literally called people from opposite sides of the aisle to show us that we could still walk in love with one another. And when we make kingdom first, when we put that first, you'll start to see all the other stuff fall away. I usually call it this. What we do is Jesus helps us to crawl out of our ditch because there's a road that we can walk on, but a lot of times we get caught up in ditches and ditches are on both sides, people, right or left. So how can we love someone? How can we remind others that nothing they do can change God's love for them. Salome was given the mission, along with their friends, to share the good news about what took place on the first Easter Sunday morning to the disciples, but not just the disciples, also to Peter. May we remind, you know, people that that God does not lump them in with the crowd, that God knows each one of us by name. See, every single person has had a moment like Peter when they feel like they've let Jesus down and they've run out on him. But listen, Jesus never runs out on the ones he loves. Say, Jesus loves me. This I know. For my heart tells me so. Come on. Every single person has these moments. You're the one Jesus loves. Whether your name is Peter or Susie or Steve, or Kim. (laughs) We have a mandate, just like Salome, to tell the disciples and fill in the blank with your name. Put my name in there. Put the name of any person that you come in contact with in your pathway of life. Jesus not only knows your name, but he also calls your name. And I love this story. Not only does the angel say to go tell the disciples and Peter, there's this moment after the resurrection when Jesus was still on earth for about 40 days and, and the disciples were out in the boat fishing. They had just kind of returned to what they had known because they thought, what else are we going to do? But Jesus was on the beach. They didn't know at first. And this is cool. Jesus was on the beach making breakfast. It was the first men's breakfast of the new covenant. 
So he's on the beach and he's making breakfast. And Peter, this is so cool. Peter sees him from a distance. That's what I love about Peter. He was kind of crazy. He kind of just, you know, emotional, just reacted impulsively. But when he saw Jesus, it moved him. He didn't even wait for the boat to get to the shore. He jumped out of the boat. He swam ashore. He got there as fast as he could. But there's this moment where Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? He goes, of course I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He asked him this three times. And to me, that's just to counteract the three denials. To say, listen, I know you love me. And your calling's never changed. Even through denial, right? Cursing and swearing, I never freaking knew the Lord. I mean, this is like, he's a sailor. Come on, we got to give him a pass there. Three denials, and Jesus says three times, do you love me? Great, because guess what? Your calling hasn't changed. He remembered Peter, and he remembers you too. Remind people about that personal nature and this forgiveness characteristic of Jesus this Easter. See, Salome never forgot it from her encounter that first Easter morning. And may we never forget it either. Why? He is risen. Say it with me. He is risen. Will you stand with me? Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, uh, it's a great message, sounds great, but you don't know what I've done, you don't know what I've said. Listen, none of that matters. As far as Jesus is concerned, you, you have a calling on your life. And just like Peter, you're forgiven. Say, I'm forgiven. We just have to know that. There's something about forgiveness that releases us to a place where we then can be who God's called us to be because it never, it no longer holds us back. It no longer keeps us in a place where we feel like we're not worthy or we're less than, no matter what we do. And so today could be that day for you where you awaken, as the apostles say, to your righteousness, to your connection, to this relationship with God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We just thank you that your love for us never wavers. Even on our worst day, even at the lowest of lows, you love us. And you love us so much that you want to bring us from those low places. You want to bring us to a place where we begin to see ourselves for who we truly are. Sons and daughters made in your image and likeness. And there's only one thing to do. It's to believe. It's to trust you. We can never walk in anything or benefit from anything we don't believe And so this morning, if there's anyone here or watching online that's saying, you know, I, I want to make that decision. I do believe that God loves me. I don't understand it all. I don't know how all this is going to work. That's okay. You don't have to understand it all. It takes belief. It takes trust. So if that's you this morning, just say this. Jesus, I trust you. 
I give you my life. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to show me who I truly am and whose I truly am. And I thank you for new life in Christ. May I have many resurrections in my life. May I die to old thoughts, old thinking, old ways of being, and awaken to the newness of who I am. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.